Hey, this is Rob. Hey, this is Dan. And you're listening to Remote Rob and Dan, a podcast about remote work, remote living, productivity, and all the stuff that comes along with it. And just a chance for us to chat once a week because we like to. <laughs> Welcome to uh, episode five. Uh, today we're talking with Liz Wiseman. I will get into that momentarily, but really quick, I just wanted to go ahead and plug. If you're listening to the show and you enjoy it, please go down and uh, give us a rating. Give us uh, five stars. If you don't like it, then don't rate it. And uh, if you <laughs> if you uh, <laughs> if you uh, if you feel so inclined, please also leave a, a review and uh, share it with your friends. It helps us out. This is just something that we do for uh, fun and we do want to grow it and we do want to see it uh, succeed. So any help you can give us would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Now, on to the show. Today we have Liz Wiseman. If you are unfamiliar, uh, it kind of coincides with Daniel's last name. Uh, We have the same last name. It's (laughs) It's just a total coincidence. Yeah. We don't really know each other, other than we live together and we're married. And you have uh, you have little ones as well. Yeah, we um, made kids. <laughs> you made kids. Um, I, I made them mostly, but I had a hand in it. <laughs> uh, Liz and I have actually known each other for quite a while. Obviously, Liz and Daniel are married, so we're all pretty well aware of each other. Uh, Liz is an entrepreneur, falls in the whole category of everything that Daniel and I typically talk about with remote work and working from home and being an entrepreneur and a freelancer and trying to do all that stuff to create your own, uh, your own life and your own living and all that. So, uh, Liz, why don't you give us a quick, uh, thoughts on not thoughts, but um, a download on, uh, who you are (laughs) and what you do. Sure. It's funny because you call me Liz Wiseman, but very few people do. So most people would know me. It's all right. It's it's fine. I've known you actually longer than my husband. So that cracks me up. But most people know me as Elizabeth Wiseman. I'm mostly a commercial photographer and currently working hard at building uh, building some things in the photography education space. So uh, currently working on a lot of things like tutorials and education materials that are digital and online. And uh, but I'm also on set. Regularly, I have a studio in St. Louis and, uh, you know, here in Knoxville, work a lot with Discovery Network, did some shoots with Biltmore this uh, this spring. So, so yeah, we stay busy, but, uh, but that remote work element has been something that's been really important this spring for sure. Have you, so uh, obviously, honestly, I don't know this. I've, for, for the long time, I've known you obviously as a photographer, um, primarily in fashion, but I know that you definitely do different things. Um, have you... Uh, have you always, do you typically work in your studio when you're doing your core work? So obviously we'll get to the online portion of what you've been working on, but when you do your core work, do you typically only work out of your studio or are you working remote as well? Do you kind of split the difference? Well, you know, in this instance, I, I might have you clarify what you, with what you mean by remote, but in St. Louis, um, my business was very much in the studio. It was probably at least 60-40, which for a photographer, that's a lot to do 60% of your work in a studio. Because even when you're doing studio-oriented work, um, a lot of times it's at a location. You know, you, you, know, you might come to a, a corporation or you might come to a, a brand. You might go to their space instead of being at your own. So, so I was doing a lot in the studio. And then when we started thinking about how we might be able to recreate a life in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is just a smaller market. Everything's a little different here. Definitely had to think harder about what 
what does it mean to not be a studio photographer anymore and how to translate those things to be either mobile or digital. Uh, and there's, you know, def definitely push that in two different ways. So the mobile thing in the sense that I do most of my professional commercial work here on location. So when I'm working with Discovery Network, we do things for Food Network, we'll be in a kitchen or whatever. And then uh, and then the digital stuff is definitely a remote element in the sense that we do that. I do that either from home or I do that, you know, with a one-time recording and then, you know, that lives that lives in a digital space. So it's a more of a passive kind of thing. So that's that's really been one of the bigger changes between uh, the 10 years I spent hustling in St. Louis and yeah. this year, this past year in Knoxville is trying to sort of translate what that looks like in a different kind of space that doesn't have as much studio work. Right, right. You're actually quite a, quite a nomad from what I've been gathering. You've been bouncing back and forth between Knoxville and St. Louis. I think a lot of people, when they make that conscious decision that, hey, I'm out of here, you know, they they kind of they kind of split, and you've actually uh, maintained your business in St. Louis. As, for, as far as I can tell, it's it's just as booming. Uh, you know, uh, pandemic aside, it's just as booming as it is it ever has been. Yeah, totally. Pandemic aside, in the sense, I really have just tried to be, you know, take a a real pause during the pandemic and not sure. think th think about that on a macro level. But, but yeah, no, a, a commuting element to my business model was part of it for moving here. It was to think about how to condense my clients in St. Louis into smaller chunks of time that I could come into town, crank out a lot of stuff, and then come back to what is now my home space. Um, and at first, I didn't think I would work at all in Knoxville. I just didn't know if there would be work here for me. So I yeah. thought hard about that. How can I make sure that I'm working enough in the period of time I have in St. Louis and profitable enough there so that when I get home, I'm not working and that's okay. Like I can make ends meet and I can make my my business still sustainable. So yeah, what I did in that in, in that commuting piece of the puzzle is is I just made people really tightly together. So whether it was individual clients, so I do a, a fair amount of different things, but I'm a people-focused photographer. Um, I do a lot of fashion-oriented things and lifestyle things, but I also do some headshots and some, some branding materials for different types of people. And so if I have individual clients that are coming to the studio, I might run through 10 of them in a day. And some of those will be fairly large shoots where people need a lot of different looks or we're going to locations, but we're still, you know, really cranking through the people. Or even corporations, you know, if I could really look at the the brief of what we need and go, listen, I think we can do this in four hours. I would book two of those in a day um, and hop from one to the other, maybe have assistants that help me get from one place to the other or somebody who could get started and setting up in one place and just kind of cranking through that so that when I was there, I was really maximizing my profit time and, you know, starting crazy early call times, wrapping really late um, and then just crashing <laughs> wherever yeah. and trying to minimize expenses. And, and, and that didn't bother me. I actually kind of liked that because I, I really like coming home and having home feel like a place away from work and sure. then going yeah. to work and having work feel like, uh, you know, like the place where I was going to be focused and intense. And that, that was an okay rhythm for me. I think it was hard for Daniel in some ways, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, he, he would be home alone with the kids. right? So. Sure. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, that took a little getting used to. <laughs> What, uh, so, I mean, I, that, that kind of rolls us right into, uh, you know, the, the topic at hand, um, which is, I mean, the general overarching theme of the episode is online courses and teaching what you know. And the, you know, with what you just said, when you're rolling, 
you, okay, you've moved from St. Louis. You're now in Knoxville. You're uh, you, you treating Knoxville more as a home base and less as a work space per se. Um, you've got all your work in St. Louis. And then I know you travel outside of St. Louis as well. What is making you make that shift to uh, shift away from like traditional package offerings to outside of the box revenue generator? So making that shift to, um, okay, I'm not going to necessarily go cramming in more photography shoots and more work. I'm actually going to start taking what I know and applying it to the online realm, through courses, through teaching, all that kind of stuff. And then in, in this is a multi-part question in doing that and making that change if you enjoy the balance of home being home what's your perspective on okay well now obviously home if that's kind of a an avenue you're going to take is going to become more of a work from home work you know remote quote unquote uh call it what you will you know what's your take on that right so you know, to me, and I know you guys have an audience that is going to try to do remote work full time, but I think you probably, you know, have people that will come across this and go, I want to do some of my work remote. And I think that that's, that's where my mindset has been from the beginning of pursuing the remote side of my work. And essentially all that means is before we even moved to Knoxville, I started thinking about it because I wasn't sure. A, I wasn't sure about any of it, right? So we were leaving a very stable situation, but I didn't know that if I start to say, hey, I no longer live here, will the people continue to call me? So I got lucky that they did, but that may not have happened, right? So they may have said, hey, we'll just find somebody else local. This is too hard. And um, and so I, like I said, I got lucky and I've had a year of really good relationships that have maintained, but that may not have been the case. And so before we even left, um, I pursued doing this this sort of grand education material, which is a tutorial I built, which is pretty niche, but people who are familiar with photography or modeling might know. Um, it's the subject called model testing, which I've been doing for a long time. Essentially, it's, it's where you work closely with modeling agencies and new models and create a fashion portfolio for both the photographer and the model. So like I said, it's pretty niche. It's pretty specific. But, um, you know, if people are interested in it, you can find out more on my website, which is wisemanphoto.com, or I have a lot of materials about it on my YouTube. Which um, you can just find if you search photographer Elizabeth Wiseman, but um, but essentially what I did is I approached this company that I knew made amazing education materials and said, um, listen, you know I'm I'm leaving. I have this this curriculum done. It's written. It's uh, laid out. I have these relationships with the other people who will help me make it. Um, but I really wanted a partner in it, somebody essentially that would take on the costs of it. And because I, I knew that once I got here, I wanted a passive revenue string just in case, right? Just in case. And also because I, I was curious about it, right? I think a lot of us go into remote work because you're curious, like, can I? Like, can I do something passive? Can I do something from home using my own voice and my own knowledge. Um, and it really feels as someone who has, you know, maybe a hair step above a blue collar job, me, myself, I'm talking about myself in the sense that like my physical body has to be involved in the work that I do. There's a, there's a ceiling as to how much and how many hours I have in the day, how, uh, how many places I can be, um, how much work I can do. And you can start to, you know, the, the market can adjust and you can make more money by being more in demand, but really it's still pretty limited, right? And so I wanted to say, what's something to raise that ceiling and how can I build without having to 
do all those things I was just listening, listing about what I would do in St. Louis, which is like, how do I build my business without having to stretch my hours or stretch my stretch myself physically? So, so that's where it started. Um, uh, the the company's called ProEDU. They've been an amazing partner. They built this incredible tutorial for me, um, and then they market it and they sell it online. Um, they have this machine of marketing that's been incredible for me, and they really push me to then build my brand and build other products that follow from there. And then, you know, to to follow up, what's happened since then is to me, it just feels like um, a spoke of the wheel of my career, right? Like this is just one thing that I'm doing to build myself up as a brand and to make revenue for my family. So, so it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's a um, there's no there's no there's no argument in my head as to what's better. Like I don't, it doesn't bother me that I'm physically still in the studio, that I'm maybe going to commute again pretty soon, that I'm also doing these things and that, you know, that home might become a place where I do a little bit more work. That doesn't bother me because I, I like the diversity of it. I think that there's a, there's a little bit of a, a Darwinism aspect of it, right? Like robust survival is built out of being, you know, diverse and to having that portfolio full of things that, that, uh, that allow you to survive in different circumstances. And that thrills me, you know, I really like that. And so, um, so yeah, that, and then the work from home. So just to, I'm, I'm going on forever about this thing cause I'm passionate about it, but no, not at all. Go ahead. Essentially to, to really put the period on what you just said about, am I worried about home being more of a place of work? I, I maybe, but when I do it, it still feels like, uh, it's different than my studio work because I know that it's intended to be passive work. So, so just to clarify, when I'm working from home, unless I'm editing, so that's a piece of things that's something that's still like limited by time. But but what's being pushed now for me in my own head and my own energy is the idea that I can now make my own education content from home. It's not going to be as big as my cornerstone piece that I made with ProEDU, but you know, there's things that I can be doing to build my YouTube and to then, you know, push all of that stuff to the different social media channels to build my brand that way. So when I when I am working from home, when I am in the studio um, and I am away from my family in that way, it doesn't feel like, oh, dang, this this is something that makes me sad because I'm at home. I'm supposed to be doing home stuff. It actually feels good because I know that it's long term thinking. Right. Like so those kinds of things live evergreen on the Web and build my brand and help build that revenue stream further to then long term make it so that I can be more present, be more home. Um, so so mentally and, and that that disjoint's not there. I feel good about it, actually. Do you guys feel I don't, um, you know, a lot of times when, you know, we talk about, you know, the work that I do and that obviously I work with my wife and the work that you guys do, you guys don't necessarily work together, but in some ways you do in some things. And recently I saw that both of you did some work for um, Camp Hello Bello. Am I getting that mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. The, uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to totally forget. I'm like just Dax and... Uh, Kristen, Kristen Bell. Bell. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, totally yeah. blanking on their names. So uh, you guys did some work for them and uh, it was separate, but kind of the same in the fact that obviously it was, it was for the same purpose um, mm-hmm. and the same platform. Do you guys, um, have you guys started to feel like it's, you guys both have this core, I, I think of it in terms of this core job. Like I have my core job, Liz, obviously you have your core job in, in your photography and Daniel, you have your core job in illustrating books. 
do you feel like branching out to these alternative revenue generators? Um, and I know the Campello Bello thing was more of a not a revenue generator per se, but do you feel like there's a lot of um, uh, content creation, building the machine, as Liz, as you were kind of getting at, um, that needs to be done to get to that point? And you know, at what you know, how do we how do we get there? Um, as I guess the question. So, for example, like this podcast, you know, let's not lie, let's not you know say we have millions of of listeners. We don't. It's, it's brand new. It's only episode five. So, um, building up to that point, we have to build this content network. Um, so for me, it was, uh, let's, uh, partner with Daniel and we'll, we'll do this podcast. It'll be fun as well as uh, useful in terms of building the content network. Um, I've got my own YouTube channel now, so I've been building that. Um, and then, uh, obviously I've got a website building a blog and I know that you guys are doing very, very, very similar stuff. Um, I'm kind of skipping, way down on my list of like uh, topics and thoughts here, but what, uh, when do you guys feel like it's spreading yourself too thin? And do you feel like you have to cast the net really wide and then find the little pieces that make the most sense for you and focus on those? Or do you feel like that there's just this endless pile of work to constantly do? You know, I think a lot of us are trying to build these content networks and these, uh, these own paths for ourselves in order to, you know, create revenue, create a sustainable life, uh, on, on our own right. Um, and then, but it, there comes a point where it encroaches on our lives and our balance and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. there is this endless amount of work to do. So how do you guys, um, balance that? How do you, what are your thoughts on that? You know, what's funny is that at least in, in the past year or the times where I've felt like I was spread too thin were when I was working on what you would call like my core job, right? right. which is drawing pictures. And when I, just this past year, I've, (laughs) I just took on too much work. Sure. um, Really. And I was constantly, you know, stressed that I wasn't giving each project all the mental you know, fortitude that, that it needed. Um, but the other things that, that are in the periphery, I, I almost never feel like, um, like I'm spread too thin with those maybe because they're, they're more of a one-off scheduled thing for me. Um, and I, I just kind of like, I know months ahead of time that I'm going to go to a school or that I'm going to, you know, do, do these speaking engagements or whatever. So, those never stress me out in that way. Um, I don't know at all. The way, the way that you put that, I felt almost like an outlier and that all of that stuff kind of feels like part of my job. Whereas for, for you guys, maybe like the education piece, because you're maybe not working in, and with children that much in the way that I am, I don't know. There's, there's something about those, those periphery yeah. things that feel like that's just what I do. I mean, I make books, so I need to go market it. And I do that by, you know, speaking to kids at schools or going to book fairs or things like that. I think it's, um, uh, obviously it's different for each person and in the way that they, uh, handle and approach it. Um, I know for me personally and Liz, I definitely want to get, you know, your, your take on this too, but I know for me personally, what you said, Daniel, it's funny because I'm the reverse. Um, I actually look at it as I have my core work, obviously I run a company and, um, you know, I've got people and I'm, you know, I'm accountable for them and blah, blah, blah. Um, 
and that is important to me. And that is the, the time that I spend, um, probably the, the majority of my time on, obviously my, my peripheral work, um, as you Mm -hmm. put it, um, is my content creation, my brand, my personal brand, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I get frustrated because I don't feel like I'm giving that it's due, um, diligence and it's due process. I feel like a lot of times, like at at this point I've had a YouTube channel for, Oh, I don't know, two months. And I wanted to be shooting and posting a video every week. And I think I have four now. So, um, (laughs) you know, and it's probably, it's partly the perfectionist in me. It's partly the, uh, you know, just constantly throwing stuff away. Cause I'm like, it's not good enough. It's not what I wanted. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I wish I had more, time to focus on that. So it kind of goes back to my question about balance. Like at at what point do you feel like, you know, are we tipping the scales? Do we want to, is this what we want to do full time? Like Daniel, I know you've, you know, uh, delved into making your uh, greeting cards, which I actually really love and, uh, (laughs) and your art that you post on your website and stuff like that. Liz, obviously this is what we're talking about. The whole content network that you're building for yourself. Um, you know, is that, is that what you want to do full time? I know Daniel, you're a little bit of an outlier because um, you kind of are doing what you want to do full time. Um, you know, yeah. so I don't know, uh, Liz. What are, what's your what's your take on what we're talking about here? Yeah, so I, I sort of see your thoughts in two different ways. I don't I don't think I want to do online education a hundred percent. Sure. Um, but one of the things that frees me up to do is say no more. Um, I think that allowing myself to be more selective about when and where I work. Uh, is is really the goal there. And so in that way, I feel you on the idea that I want to be spending my energy there because I feel like in the long run, that's uh, that's the thing that's going to allow me to have that flexibility. But I can't, right, I can't like not do the other things that pay my bills or the other things that build the relationships because those are the things that will also allow, you know, as a brand me to move forward. So, so I think that I think that back to maybe where you were originally with this idea that that as a home place where we could always be helping each other film a new YouTube video or Daniel could be making new PDFs for me or I can be encouraging him to, you know, get a new headshot or the different ways in which we can collaborate. It does. I think I'm more with you, Rob. It like it sometimes does feel a little bit endless and my mind goes in all these places like, oh, man, we have all these resources av- available to us. Like we have each other to collaborate with. Like, why aren't we like, why haven't we? Why haven't we built a, an Instagram b- brand around our family? You know, those kinds of things I don't really necessarily want to do. But like there's ways in which you go, <laughs> you know, you have two two creatives in a, in a house like there's a the list goes on. And so the Hello Bella thing was kind of fun because we did find ways to do that. Right. Like I filmed it uh, with some of my gear which was a thing. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> because we'd never done that before. But but then, you know, but then Dana was on camera and then the reverse happened. And then, you know, I, I consult with him all the time, like, hey, on the front page of some video I'm making or some flyer I'm making, you know, can you help me make it look better? And and he'll ask me other things as well. So, so I do think that, you know, as someone who really loves my job and who really wants to be continuing to see growth, it's hard not to always be able to hustle with that. I mean, I, I don't know if Daniel was even in the mindset to be thinking about it, but yesterday I was complaining about almost this exact problem that that I have been putting a lot of effort into things like my new YouTube and my Instagram, but this is a weird time in history, so it's hard to know where, know. where, things, <laughs> where things will pay off, right? Yeah. Because I'm a bit the opposite on YouTube. I had some, I had some old content that just needed to be kind of like 
you know, dusted off and tidied up. I had some really beautiful, beautiful uh, video content that could be used easily on, on. And so I've been kind of slamming it up. And um, so I have, you know, over the course of just two weeks, I have 15 or 16, I, I think, pretty polished videos and I don't see any traffic. Right. So it's just those kinds of things are hard because you go, I'm running as fast as I can, but I don't see the results from it. And so I know that. Then you circle back and then you come back to that core thing and you go, well, this is why I do the job that I do. You know, this is why I'm a photographer, because I really love that immediate satisfaction that I get from being on set and having real relationships and having a photo that comes out of that. So that's the balance for me is is I love being able to collaborate with Daniel. And I don't mind that endless cycle of feeling like we could always be doing more. But but when it when it comes crashing down, like it kind of did for me yesterday, I realized Hey, you know, you know, cause really after that, I don't know if Daniel can, this timeline is starting to make sense in my head. I didn't thought about it till just now, but you know, after that I went in and made my next St. Louis shoot schedule, Oh, nice. you know? And, yeah. um, and so that, you know, that felt very concrete. It was like a big stressor off my back. And, and so, so both of those things feel really important to me. Yeah. I'm, I, I completely feel that 100%. Um, you know, my wife and I, Amber and I work together, um, on what I, what we're calling my core business. And then, um, you know, she has her own thing and then I've got my own thing on the side and, um, there, it, it definitely feels like there's this constant, we could literally be sitting and working all day, every day and, uh, never really being, you know, quote unquote caught up, you know, there's always something to do. I've got a laundry list of stuff for my own personal brand that, um, you know, it just takes time to get to something I've been trying to personally get to this is completely off topic. Um, personally trying to get to lately is like enjoying the process instead of worrying too much about the output. And Liz, I think you touched on that. Um, Daniel, I know that, you know, you've done an excellent job of been kind of like, you know, high-fiving you from afar for a while, like posting your, posting your, just your drawing. And I can tell you're just like, I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to draw today. And you post it and it's excellent. And it's really cool to see that I'm so not good at that to me. I, uh, I feel like it has to be packaged up as a product or whatever. And it doesn't, it can, Uh it can literally just be what you're working on through your process and enjoying your process. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's part of the road. I mean, this has turned into kind of a buzzword, but like, being authentic you know is just kind of not trying to think about what the polished version of yourself or your work is necessarily it's something that i've struggled with for a long time and i struggle with loving the process and all that stuff especially being that i have this job that from the outside it looks like something that I've, I've worked for and I've finally hit my goal and, you know, got my dream job. And so I'm supposed to like love every second of it. Sure. You know? Yeah. It's still, work. and, and yeah. I don't always, <laughs> but I think showing that, I think, I think I'm starting to come around to like being able to talk about that kind of publicly, you know, in, in, whether it's through my art or just when people ask me, questions you know um I, I get that a lot just messages from people who want to do what i do and ask me questions about it and i feel more comfortable telling them the good and the bad and the hard and the you know that kind of stuff instead of sugarcoating everything it's funny because i, th- I would say from the outside looking in and honestly from the inside looking in um all, all three of us i would say i would say <laughs> you, can be inside. In. Yeah. you can yeah. come inside our house <laughs> i would say all of us are you know quote unquote successful, um, in terms of 
we had things in our lives that we wanted to do and we did them, um, yeah. you know, and when we're continuing to do them, we're continuing to grow that. So, I mean, from that perspective, I would definitely say that we're successful um, folks mm. and, you know, we're all very lucky and we should all be giving ourselves pats on the back for that. Um, at the on the same token, um, people can't see this, so it's really funny. There's a lot of times where when people are talking, um, you, one of you guys is talking. I'm like, should I look at the camera? What should I do? Right <laughs> <now?"> <laughs> I just um, look out the window usually. Um, there's a there's this there's this topic that I totally struggle with all the time, and I don't know if you guys do too. When you start to branch out and start to go do something that isn't part of your core wheelhouse, something that you haven't been doing for years and years. There's this concept of imposter syndrome. And um, do you guys feel like you hit that sometimes? Does it ever feel like it holds you back? Do you do you not feel like you hit that? Because I definitely do. And I think from the outside, um, this is not an egotistical comment. This is just something people have told me. I think I come across like a fairly confident person. Um, but I hit these moments of imposter syndrome all the time, especially when I start to do a little bit of a 180 in my career. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to try doing something over here for a little while. You know, um, you know sorry, I don't mean to cut you no, off. No, go ahead. Um, go ahead. I, have, I have some fairly strong opinions on that, on that term and thought behind it. And I used to, I used to struggle with, with imposter syndrome, if you want to call it that. And I started to realize that it's just being humble. Sure. You know, and it's and I think there are people out there that like, you know, really have a syndrome where sure, they can't. Sure. But I don't think it's as many as as that's fair is, is led as you know, we're led to believe it's because it's become kind of a buzzword. I think the idea of of sorry, I think the idea of when you branch out and you're doing something that you're less comfortable with, like for me, it's talking to people about how they should do my job right if they want to do my job um i think it's just part of like being modest and also just not being super confident you know which is natural yeah i think what i when i say that term i know that term gets used a lot it gets thrown around a lot when when i'm saying it what i mean is being humble and being modest i think are great traits and i think that obviously people that aren't that way are annoying. Um, but, uh, but at the same token, I think when you are going on a new endeavor or you're branching out from something that you do at your core and it, you, you stop yourself, you don't progress because you're putting a wall up because you don't feel like you are, um, you have merit, you know, let's say that, uh, yeah. you're going to do an online course. And I know that obviously we've all felt this cause everyone feels like this to some extent, like who am I, you know, to, to teach people about X, Y, or Z, you know, sure. how do you get past that? Um, because I think it does become somewhat, probably not a clinical syndrome, obviously, but it becomes somewhat of a roadblock when it's stopping you or impeding you from doing what you actually want to do. Yeah. So, you know, in the context of of being a woman in business, this conversation comes up and it functions a little differently. And sure. it's funny if you just hear us talk, Daniel and I are, are also just like very different people and like deal with things in very different <laughs> ways. I think that's why we've, you know, been able to be married for so long in some ways. And so I, I it's think because that, we don't live together. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we're filming this in two different locations. We have separate bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. 
But um, anyways, as a, as a woman, you know, I have these groups of professional women I get together with, you know, I'm trying to really develop that idea of like sharing and, and being together and, and experiencing, uh, you know, other people's lessons in professional careers. And, and when you talk about this from the perspective of gender, it's really more about exactly what you said, Rob, but even if uh, to take it a step further, it's impeding your own growth because you don't believe that you're going to fit into some other people's idea of successful. And so so people will stop short of doing projects or bidding out themselves. So as a creative, you know, a lot of different types of creative careers involve bidding. Mine does for sure, you know, where you you just genuinely say I am not worthy of that project and I'm going to I'm going to not only mess it up, but I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to hurt my brand. And a lot of that is a lie, right? Like a lot of that is a story because as creative, so much of what we do is learning on the spot anyway, and so much of what other people are doing is they are pushing themselves in the moment. And so I think what that imposter syndrome does is it just paralyzes our ability to grow and, and our ability to really step into that that top spot in the career. You know, Daniel's lucky because Daniel is has you know so much innate talent. He's had it since he was a, a little kid. And and I think that he right. also has benefited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he has also benefited from uh sort of a, a laser focus and that's more of a like sort of a mental attitude that Daniel has, right? Like he only likes doing a certain kind of thing and that happens to be the thing that he can make money at. And so the combination of those two things has just propelled him for forward. And so he can have that that like humility, right? Because it's just that he's still moving, right? He's still moving sure. forward in that. Sure. And I think that if I were to just sort of sit back and go, hey, my portfolio will be enough, it may not be. So I have to constantly remind myself that imposter syndrome is a burden. It is a roadblock and to discard it and just, you know, look at my work, look at my my engagement, look at my education materials and go, these are as good, if not better. There's no reason they can't be better. There's no reason they can't be the top. There's no reason that people won't want to spend money on this, whatever it is. And then, and then push into that, right. And then really make that happen. I'm not saying that you can just assume that it's a thing, Sure. but, but, but having to get past that mental barrier of going, you know, I'm I am worthy to be in this in this chair with Pro EDU. It was tough because they have these really, really visible people on their platform. Sure. And uh, and so what I had to do is really think hard about my niche, which is small anyway, and go, listen, doesn't matter. Niche is OK. Right. Like niche is OK. And, um, you know, you can have millions and millions of eyes on something. But if they're just like passively watching there, you're also not going to get sales. But if you're niche and you have engagement, you know, you'll get similar sales. Right. And so, um, so that's been, that's been my experience with imposter syndrome is just having to go hard work is enough to, to, to compete most of some of the time, most of the time. And in my case, it's really been to say like, I deserve to be here and I, I, uh, I'm going to work hard enough to make it so that this isn't this, I, I'm just as good as anybody else to be the, the person in the center of the room. I think there's a fallacy too, that, um, you know, a lot of people, assume as a creative, you said something actually I want to come back to. So um, I'm going to put a pin in that, but as a creative and as a, um, someone who <laughs> puts, <laughs> sometimes I really do wish that we put the video up, um, <laughs> as a creative <laughs> and as someone who, um, uh, you know, uh, pushes through, uh, let's call it adversity. Um, you know, when we, <clears throat> I think there's, there's a misconception that a lot of times there is stuff that people want to learn. And if you have taken the time 
to uh, di- digest and comb and um, understand, you know, some kind of topic, niche or not. And you've taken more time, let's call it five hours even, than, you know, let's the lay person. You now have a little bit more information and a little bit more knowledge, wisdom, and potentially experience than that person does. So there's nothing wrong, I think, with being um, only marginally more informed than, you know, than, than the lay person, because you can still, you can still teach. And I think that's something that a lot of us, um, you know, there's, there's, there's consumption of, of creative, of art, there's curation of it. And then there's obviously creation of it. And I think that if we're not creating and, uh, and teaching, um, and imparting that knowledge on people, it's, uh, it's only holding society back. So I think that that, that whole imposter syndrome is unfortunate because, um, and I'm saying this for myself too, it's unfortunate because at the end of the day, a lot of people just want to, um, understand. And a lot of people want to be on that journey with you, I think. Um, and there's yeah. a lot of times where when you learn something, when you're the, you're brand new to something, you're teaching things in a way that a brand new person can understand it. Whereas if you've been doing something for 10 years, you're going to forget the whole first layer, you know, when you're teaching it to him. So, um, you know, also we're, we're teaching our, our process, our opinions where, you know, when I go and I pay money for an art tutorial from a specific illustrator, it's not because I think it's going to make me the greatest illustrator in the world because they're the greatest illustrator in the world. It's because I just want to learn how they did something. You know, I like the way they're doing it. It's not, we're not teaching these like finite factual how to do open heart surgery on elderly men. You know, we're, we're teaching how to draw something (laughs) or how to take a picture like I do or how, you know, it's the bar is a little lower for one, which I think helps with that imposter syndrome. I think, I think. But even I if think, you don't want the, the bar to be low, I mean, I don't think you have to necessarily even think about it as a low bar so much as there's a lot to be learned, right? Like, I think that's yeah. exactly what you're getting at, which there's sort of an infinite number of voices out there. And as creative, right. you're the only one that has your voice. And so that's just a nice thing. There's, you're right. There's only so many ways someone could make a, you know, a tutorial about how to use this podcast microphone, you know, but you yeah. still, you still get on YouTube and you still find that random Absolutely. dude that made the video about it. But, you know, point is, is that in the creative space, you actually have this more infinite uh-huh. ability to influence because you go, you know, I think that I'm the only one that can do things the exact way that I do it. So even if someone has exactly the same technical knowledge as I do, they may be still curious about the things that I do. Uh, and I think that that leads itself to a lot of remote work opportunities and a lot of ways in which you can not only build education materials, but mentorship op- opportunities. Um, all of these things can be monetized, you know, just circling back to the concept of, of remote work. You know, these are things that, that when you get past that imposter syndrome, you can go, hey, there's a lot of ways in which people might want to take a little bite out of the things I have to offer, whether it's in this mm-hmm. large, this large, long form, large way or a small way, you know, these people want to engage with that, that unique ability to create. You made a really cool point earlier. And I don't even know if you meant to, um, you said, Liz, you said learning on the spot is, um, something that we as, you know, creative people do. Um, do you feel like either one of you, <clears throat> because I thought that was an interesting point to make. Do you feel like that's, almost like a core competency of uh, creative folks or um, almost like a, um, oh, I don't want to call it a requirement, but 
the ability to learn and adapt on the spot is partly what makes creative people creative. And I, I honestly feel like everyone can be creative um, to some extent, but the people that we look at that we feel like it comes more naturally to, do you think it's that ability to pivot on the spot and, uh, and you know, well, <laughs> be creative um, with, uh, with their uh, output? Uh, well, I do. I do think that being uh, able to be nimble is really important. Um, and I think this is maybe a slightly off topic, but that yeah. immediately brought to my attention. No, not that, but the thing that, that it really brought up to me was that I think being able to do it and being able to recognize it in the moment is actually a, a sort of a maturity in the creative process as well as being able to go like, hey, this is a moment that I need to pivot and learn and change and all that stuff. I think that comes with some, some maturity in your creative process and some experience as a creative professional, but that's neither here nor there. It just, it just sort of triggered that thought in me. But I, I do, I think, that, I think that a creative person has the ability to, to express their voice into a, a moment whether it was called for or not. And I think that that usually pays off, right? Like, so if I'm at a situation where I have a shoot at a corporation that's pretty stuffy and buttoned up and maybe the, uh, the creative team that's art directing or whatever has a certain thing in mind, you know, what, what really the reason they hire me or will hopefully hire me again and again and again is because then I can come into the situation and go, okay, I like your ideas, but this is how I would do it. Right. And so I think that that's a part of that thinking on the spot. I think that is a part of being creative is to go, um, so my voice will always sort of outshine all these other things if I'm there, right? Because that's going to be the reason that you're hiring me and the reason that I'm valuable in the, you know, in the traditional economy. Right. I do think being, being nimble or being able to adapt helps with um, taking feedback oh, and yeah. criticism yeah. of your work and, and being able to digest that and turn around and use your creative experience to still get your voice out. Yeah. You know what I well, mean? And it, use that. It, it makes the yeah. box smaller. And using, I mean, using that criticism, I'm, I'm, that's something, man, I, I don't want to say it comes with age, but I feel like it comes with age. It totally <laughs> does. I mean, you remember when we <laughs> yeah. were in a band and somebody be like, maybe you want to change that song to do something. You're right. like, no, yeah. that's, we made that. Yeah. We this made that, and now we're like, yeah, you're probably right. You've been in a band for 40 years, and you kind of know how to make music. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's try that. No, 100%. I think we learned that from Pixel Press. I think so, too. I think when you've got, when you have thousands and thousands of, let's call it clients or user base or viewers uh -huh. or listeners or whatever, and you're going to get their opinions um, eventually. Yeah. You, it's like, you have to you grow thick skin. <laughs> yeah, you can't help it. You have to get thick skin. And what's what's great is uh, learning to – we're a little off topic, and that's fine. Um, what's great is learning to um, spot the things that are completely not helpful and just ignore them um, because just knowing that that's not helpful and there's no point in worrying about this. Just ignore it. But then looking at the yeah. ones that – you know, but then not getting, I think, too wrapped up. There's probably three buckets. There's spot and ignore, and then there's the um, the other extreme, which is just praise, constant praise, and there's no critique at all, and you can't get too wrapped up in that either. Um, but then there's that middle chunk that's, you know, juicy and useful, and that's the criticism that is uh, constructive and helpful, and if you can take something from that, I think you can um, – That that is what makes you a mature or uh, a yeah, good creative. I, yeah. Honestly, one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, 
this whole overarching conversation is really about creating a career on your own terms. And um, I think that's something that obviously everyone in the world wants. You want to be able to do whatever you want and somehow make a bunch of money doing that. Um, and if we get into the nitty gritty of actually making money, um, because that is part of it, you know, we are artists and we are um, uh, trying to uh, propel ourselves through life in being creative and artistic in some way. And obviously, in order, the only way to do that is to uh, create some kind of revenue, some kind of uh, monetary base for ourselves so that we can continue to do that. Um, so when we're creating a career on our own terms, um, I, you know, Daniel, I know that you have to, you are a little bit beholden to someone telling you, here is something I need creative, I need created put your own flair on it, put your own creative uh, stamp on it, and then, you know, let me know, and then we'll we'll publish it to the world. Um, Liz, obviously you have clients um, with your core work, and so you're beholden to that to some extent. And then obviously with myself, with my company, I have customers, and, you know, I've got to, you know, make them happy as well as investors and a whole slew of crap around that. Um, so what... When we're talking about creating uh, on our own terms, um, I think what we're talking about is creating passive revenue streams for a potential for someday to turn that into our primary revenue or maybe just to leave that on autopilot and continue to grow it in the background. Um, what are ways that you guys are doing that or researching to do that? Maybe you don't have anything you know, on you know, total autopilot right now. You know, What are ways that you guys are, are looking to do that or ways that you're currently doing that. Um, because I think that's something that people are really interested in, um, obviously, is how can I put something out into the world, build that machine, put it out in the world, and let it generate revenue for me. For, for me, it started with the ProEDU tutorial, right? And I call that kind of a cornerstone piece because it's big, right? And, and I don't mind it to even say it. It costs more than I would have paid to ha if I had been able to pay out of pocket. Like, I wouldn't have been able to afford it, right? So having them as a, a partner was able to make this big, great production value three-hour thing, right? And so there's that. And then it started to be a thought of, well, how do we follow up with that? How do we continue to bring people back to that one thing? Um, so there's a piece of that too. It's like, how do we continue to just drive traffic to that one thing? So that's been interesting too, is doing some re research about that, thinking hard about every social media post being a place where people will lead back to that narrative. Sure. It doesn't have to be an obvious sales pitch, but you know, what's the point of right. posting on Instagram if it's not leading to something, right? So so always sort of guiding people back. If they if they follow that click trail back, do they find a place to buy something from you, right? And so I think that that's another uh, interesting research thing. ProEDU actually has another tutorial about marketing that goes into this idea that you have a hub, which is the thing in the middle of your brand that, that gets you revenue and then everything else comes off of that and it's really cool so that's one thing yeah so that's one thing that i've been doing is thinking about that a lot and driving traffic there and then you know as things changed either spring of 2020 pandemic style um you know we started to think about smaller chunks of revenue coming in and diversifying so we hit on diversity earlier i think that that's a really big buzzword for me in my own head right now which is you know you may not be able to sell a hundred dollar product to somebody but could you sell a ten dollar product to them and could you sell a ten dollar product to ten people 
people. You know, this is this is basic math. And so as a team, some of the pro-EDU mentors that I have and just alone, I've been thinking a lot about what are those small things? And that's another imposter syndrome thing you got to get rid of, which is, you know, why do people care about these little bitty things? But it actually, it's it, even just out of curiosity, a low price point things people will sometimes click on and buy. So some examples in the photography space are um, layered PSDs, uh, Photoshop piles. Uh, files that that have your editing layers in it, just so somebody can take a peek behind the curtain and go, oh, this is a, somebody I admire, and I want to see how their process even just plays out. I don't have to even make a video about it, but just to see that that file itself, or or uh, PDF files that are that are instructional, something like that. That's small, essentially just like a worksheet. Those are other cool things. Um, small videos. Um, blogs that have affiliate links. These are all things that you can, that that we're as a, as a team and pro to you, but also just me personally, I'm trying to, to bring in and go, I know that these are all just everyday things for me, but if I were to be thinking about 22-year-old Elizabeth, or I guess I wasn't even thinking about photography then, but like 25-year-old Elizabeth, what would have surprised me or what would have just triggered some curiosity in me. What would I've I've been excited to see from somebody that I admired or was just a few years ahead of me in my career? And then trying to monetize those things, sticking those up online and then having a buy a buy button is essentially, you know, how a lot of us are trying to do it. Um, you know, Squarespace or whatever. These plugins just have these easy e-commerce elements to them. And especially if it's a digital product. And I encourage everybody to just try to try to find those digital products, those small things that people can get in and buy. Um, and I, th- I think leading back to something bigger is also a really important tool. If you've got something in your back pocket that you can go, yeah, but this is the big, this is the thing that really defines my brand. The keystone piece that, um, uh, it defines who you are as your North star, you know, then it's really, um, it is hard to just start to put out disparate, um, you know, information and disparate buy buttons out there. You know, if you're not leading back <laughs> That's to That's kind something, of where I am. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I am to some extent as well. The podcast is a is a is a kind of a new thing. Obviously, we're going to monetize this just like everybody else, and um, and uh, oh yeah, Squarespace. That's what I'm banking on. Yeah, if you, you heard know, that Squarespace, the... then uh, you need to sponsor this. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have been struggling with this a lot lately because I I can't quite figure out what new thing to do that doesn't involve me taking just as much time drawing yeah. something you know and and to be honest with you the the books and my core thing that's kind of the point of them is they're supposed to generate revenue for me forever right a- after i work off the advance or sell off the advance money and then i'm supposed to make royalties so right. maybe when when i'm like 60 I'll start making <laughs> making this passive revenue. I'm not sure. Um, it sounds like you one went thing, for the band model again. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do make $150 a month playing at bars for three hours. Yeah. Uh, but we're not allowed to go to bars anymore, so I don't. <laughs> I lost that money. Yeah. Um, I one thing that I've been thinking about because people ask me to do stuff for free a lot, you know, and they ask me and then I'm, I'm thinking like, how can I, what is asked of me the most? And, and I give out of goodwill occasionally, what can I, how can I turn that into something? Right. 
Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, so that's something that we did, right? Is is uh, is that at ProEDU and that I do on their platform, which is some mentorship stuff. So yeah, that's a that's a great new model that a lot of people are using, which is monetizing mentorship and time and saying my time is valuable. And and actually, I think people inherently get that. I think the fact that you know when people would be willing, you know, somebody as well known as Daniel totally. in the children's book industry would be like, yeah, yeah, I'll give you an hour of my time. That would shock the heck out of me. Like if I was somebody that was just like, hey, I'm so sorry to bug you, but I admire you. Like, I, I'm wondering if there's a way that we can get plugged in. And they'd be like, yeah, I'll give you an hour of time. Be like, what? <laughs> Seriously? I get on I get on phone calls. So we do this with our company, obviously. You know, we, we have uh, educators that want to learn more about either our platform or just uh, distance learning platforms and, uh, and, and software, uh, ed tech software in general. So I'll, I'll randomly jump on calls with classrooms. And when they find out yeah. you know, I'm the founder or whatever, they're just minds are blown <laughs> that, uh, you know, I have, you know, 10 minutes to sit down and talk to them. And I think a lot of people forget like, well, OK, yeah, we are busy people. There are a lot of yeah. busy people in the world. But at the end of the day, it's still just people. Um, so, uh, yeah, it is, it is. It is. I think that there's such and to to your point, monetizing the things that you're already getting asked to do, we obviously when we started to catch on to that with the company, we're like, oh wow, we're getting asked this a lot. Maybe we should monetize this, and we did, and you know now we're making money on it. So it's it's you know it's a great uh, opportunity. I think both of you touched on something really uh, that I constantly think about, and that is that I could I could create usable content all day long if I had the time. Let's just pretend like I have the time. I could create usable content that I know would sell. Hundred percent. Even if it's for stuff that I don't even really want to teach, like coding, I could teach that. I could put oh my so much content up about coding and probably make a ton of money doing that. I don't want to do that, but I could. And I know that that opportunity is there. The problem that I have, that I think a lot of people have, that both of you touched on, is what can I do that's not going to take me three weeks to build? Exactly. You know, exactly. because I have to recoup that at some point. I've got to have some ROI. If I make if I say that I'm that I make fifty dollars an hour, I'm worth fifty dollars an hour, whatever that number is, and I put that into two weeks or three weeks worth of building content, well, all of a sudden now I've got to make I don't know what the, what the math is there, but now I've got to make ten thousand dollars off this thing. That was it. You know, yeah, it's ten thousand. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now I've got to make you know uh, an exorbitant amount of money off of this little thing. That uh, so, what's the way that we build these? Uh, Liz, I think honestly, Photoshop layered files is like a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. what's or the Daniel way would have the same thing, right? With Illustrator files, like something right. like that. Yeah. So, it would still be Photoshop. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know anything about what Daniel. We, we use like the same <laughs> software and have no idea how each other does their jobs. It's really funny. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think, Rob, the one way I think about that, I tend to be a little bit of not money motivated enough in this way. Like I should think about that, but I don't. And so one of the things I think of is like, would I be doing anything else in this moment anyway? One of the nice things about the quarantine has been, um, you know, we wouldn't really be doing anything else anyway. So I don't, I don't, I don't think so literally. And also really genuinely focusing on this notion of evergreen and how, how those 10,000 hours can happen, uh, $10,000 can happen over a significant period of time if you've done it right. Sure. And really a lot of marketing experts really point to this notion that we feel like we have to be, um, you know, bikini blogger, Instagrammers, I promise I'll make this circle back. Um, <laughs> because we think that our, our, our posts and our, 
content always has to be new and fresh and cool for every single thing we put up online. But really, a lot of the expertise says you can keep pointing back to the same products and the same right. the same revenue streams over and over and over in your channels, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt you right. to do that. Right. And so that's that that evergreen element of it. I don't disagree with you that. Uh, that you should be thinking about how to how to make sure that those things are worth your time. But to also go, hey, you know, this is a slow month for me. This is a slow week for me. Those are the perfect opportunities to then be going, let's not, let's not focus on that too hard because there's a huge learning curve too. And I don't mean to ramble about that too, but, you know, it took us three times as long to make Daniel's Hello Bello video as it took to make me, let, have me take it because I did mine second. And so I was able to take all that knowledge base that it took us forever to make his. And then I made mine in, you know, 30 minutes. Um, so, so I think some of that too, especially if there's listeners out there who are just getting into this remote element and they're trying to find these passive revenue streams and going, well, you know, the, the, the numbers don't, the numbers don't play out for me right now, but you know, for me, it's a little bit like, yeah, but you'll get faster, you'll get better, totally. You'll get, yeah. you know, things things happen exponentially eventually. I think what I was probably getting at, I totally agree with everything you guys are saying. I think what I was getting at personally was, um, and this kind of goes back to probably a little bit of perfectionism or uh, uh, over analysis of the the stuff I do, but it's consistency. Consistency is probably key for a lot of this stuff. And it's not about necessarily having to make, you know, the Mona Lisa or whatever, but if you want to do that, that's fine. Um, but just know that, you know, that's going to take you more time and it's going to have, um, I, I think it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is like enjoying the process. So not worrying so much about the output and just enjoy the process, because if you can enjoy the process of creating this content, creating these things that you're working on, um, and you do it regularly, you're just going to get better and to your point, Liz, faster, um, at, at doing this. So, um, no, I think mean, those are all really good points. Yeah. 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 I like your point that a lot of times the things that you could even monetize are things you're already doing or the things that you totally. do, you do for fun anyway. Yeah. I think, yeah, that. I, uh, I wrote this down a while back when I thought of it, but there's this saying that I created myself in my brain <laughs> called, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. There you go. You'll just. You did that? Yeah, I coined that. Be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. Is that you too? Yeah. Live, laugh, love. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, if you earn a penny, save it. <laughs> because. A penny saved is a penny that you you earn. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wrote that when I was creating electricity. Yeah, nice. Um, no, <laughs> I created electricity. <laughs> you, you invented it. <laughs> I um, didn't discover it. Yeah, I created it. Uh, harness it. No, um, he's so, like this all the time. No, these gentlemen. Yep. <laughs> yep. These are no. These are all really good points. I honestly feel like we could sit and talk for hours about a lot of this stuff. And and it's funny because I think it's a lot of. Um, somewhat newness for each of us to some extent. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and I think through some of that newness comes excitement. So when you start, yeah, it's kind of like what yeah. we just, Elizabeth and I just kind of talk about this stuff all day. Yeah. When we're not arguing, <laughs> we're talking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's called balance, dude. Yeah. You got to yep. balance. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, no, it's really good stuff. And, uh, and I think that, um, uh, you know, honestly, Liz, seeing you uh, 
pumping out YouTube videos, uh, I am frustrated and like that's ha- that's not fair. <laughs> you had some of those. You had some of those. I did. Um, I did no, have so. some of those. Yeah, but I had but I had no time before to master them, right? And to like make them yeah, nice. No. And so I think that's always it's always a thing. A lot. It's exactly what we're just talking about. I already had them, right? So I already had yeah. them. They were part of another project, and then you just have to dust it off and go. Let's let's make this work for me. I do think there's a there's some um, you know uh, we can wrap up here in a second, but I do think there's something to having a uh, I don't know a war chest or whatever you want to call it of content, and then releasing it. So yeah. Um, man, just biting your time, just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to not put my finger on the trigger, just calm down and build up this content, learn, enjoy the process of learning, build up this, uh, you know, this, this, uh, man, I'm using really terrible terms here. I was gonna say arsenal, but I'm really not trying to be militant <laughs> about this, but, um, build up this, you know, this, this backlog treasure trove, there you go, treasure trove of content and then release it at once because, um, a lot of if we're getting down into tactics, a lot of these things with channels, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, um, uh, podcasts. Honestly, Daniel and I just we're slow rolling it, and I think part of it's just because it's almost like a fun thing for us to do and a chance to connect. But um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of uh, marketing advice out there to say don't go to a naked channel. You know, you want to see you know content, you want to see backlog. Because if I released a video tomorrow and it hit, you know, and it that worst term, but what everyone calls it is it popped or whatever. Um, <laughs> then, uh, you know, I want, I want somewhere to your point list to have a North star, to have somewhere to send people. I want people to go back to my channel and say like, Oh wow, he's got a wealth of stuff. I'm going to subscribe because he's probably going to be continuing to put out new cool stuff. Um, whereas if you go, you see one great video and then they've only got two, it's like, eh, it's probably not worth my time. Right. Um, so <laughs> people are so fickle. He's oh, only got man. two videos. If He's I get too deep, time. if I get too deep into the, you know, because uh, Daniel, you know me, I do the reading and I go nuts on this stuff. If I get mm-hmm. too deep into the marketing and the the tactics of how this stuff works and the attention span of people, and you've got two seconds to like grab them, and then you know, all, it's just if I get too deep into that, I'm just like, I don't even want to do this. Right? <laughs> like it's just yeah. ridiculous. Um, but. Uh, Honestly, I have fun with it. And it sounds, honestly, it sounds, I think we all do. So part of it is just that is just, you know, having fun with it. And Liz, to your point, it's like, you don't necessarily need to worry about monetizing every single little thing you do. Um, If you're enjoying what you're doing and you feel like you're growing and learning, then that's worth it right there. You know, you don't have to necessarily have some massive ROI. Um, to get value out of it. Right. And you can in the long run, right? Like you can circle back and you can go, I enjoyed making all this content. Now let's, now let's put it to work. Right. And I think that that's where I'm at with YouTube and some other things. YouTube is still, you have done all the, all the research and I have not. Right. So it's a big mystery (laughs) to me. Um, I feel like I'm just doing the thing that 14 year olds do really well. We're just kind of clicking around and playing with it and, and make, making it work for me as I go. And the beautiful thing is that the platforms I love the most are the ones that let you go back and edit your content indefinitely. Oh, I know. And yeah. uh, they let you add all the things that people who are good at it do. And so that's that's another thing is just trying to do that. It's just trying to say like, hey, I'm going to be patient with myself and I'm going to allow myself this learning curves. And then someday I think it, I, I believe that it will genuinely pay off because experts tell me so. And also because I just think that it's worthwhile content that people want to see. Something that I've been uh, trying to teach myself uh, lately is with my social channels. Um, <laughs> maybe it goes back to that uh, that imposter syndrome thing. But um, if I post something that I think is neat and that is fun, <laughs> and that there will be people in the world that think it's neat and fun, 
it doesn't necessarily matter what my family or my close group of friends think because I'm not necessarily posting it for them. Um, you know, yeah. I'm posting it for all the other people in the world that actually do care about black magic pocket cinema cameras or whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you know, that it's, it, that's something new for me because for the longest time, it's just been like, uh, you made a good point, Liz earlier. It's like, if you're posting for no reason, then why do it? You know, I'm creating an online catalog for my family to look at pictures of my family. Um, my immediate family. Well, okay. You can just send them emails. If that's all it's for. Um, so creating, no, creating a, uh, a, a content for your niche or your interest or, uh, you know, your, whatever you want to call it is, uh, something I'm personally learning because, um, it's not all for my, uh, it's not all for Daniel or Spencer. <laughs> well, it should be, it should be all for me, but there's an audience for everything. Yeah, 100%. Like literally everything. There is. Hashtags. And people just have to be kind of honest with themselves about it. I think a lot of people say, oh, it's just for me, but they don't really believe that. They don't really feel that way. They really would like a broader audience, you know, but they they are not telling themselves, you know, the the right story about what their their goals really are. They A lot of times people are genuinely disappointed when they're not getting the engagement they want out of the content they put out there. And I think that that's something you just have to be really honest with yourself. What are my goals? What really works? And what am I going to do to to make this work for me and my career? Well, this was awesome. Um, honestly, uh, I think we talked about a lot of cool stuff. We sort of, we sort of hovered on the online courses and teaching what you know concept, but honestly, it was just a general, uh, online creative endeavor, uh, conversation, uh, it, which, which I really liked and, and appreciated something that I've been really into lately is just, uh, you know, uh, creativity, what sparks it, what makes it go. Um, so, uh, no, this was great, Liz. I'm, I'm really glad and sorry. I keep calling you Liz. That's okay. Um, it's how you know me, right? You, you and we were friends in college and my college roommate called me Liz. That's just how it happens. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, uh, appreciate you being on and, um, you know, uh, Daniel, this is, uh, it's fun having a third person. We should, uh, we should do this. More. Yeah. We should always, <laughs> we should always have three people. Um, I like it. Anything like else it you lot. guys want to? Um, to, do we need to elizabeth kind of plugged her stuff do we have stuff we want to plug i do uh I like yeah plugging things i am um, by the time you hear this it will be out because it comes out may 5th but i have a new book coming out jeez man you're uh, just like cranking those things out yeah it's weird and and super fortuitous how everything i've been working on for the past year and a half is coming out during this uh worldwide virus <laughs> meltdown it's awesome bookstores are doing great these yeah, days i can imagine um um but yeah i have a book coming out may 5th called rad that i had oh, yeah like a lot of fun working on uh, about a crew of skateboarding cats um that's really all you need to know because that's that's enough if you're not going right to buy there. a book about a crew of skateboarding cats then you're not listening then, to this podcast anyway you, so yeah <laughs> then you've already <laughs> you've already hit pause and gone to do something else yeah. um no you can get it uh you know anywhere fine books are sold online excellent that's awesome no it's what's the name of that I, I want you to plug this more often what's the name of the bookstore online that's the uh local uh, uh like bookshop.org is um they it's basically independent there's a couple of them there's um what's the other one indie bound is one that is um an independent bookstore uh reseller online uh, like aggregate thing but bookshop.org is the one that i've been hearing about a lot lately and i actually just got 
while we were doing this messages from my agent telling me that I need to create a page on it. So I guess you can have your own author page. Oh, neat. So maybe I'll do that and we can put that in the show notes and you can see all the books I've made and buy them and um, get them from independent bookstores. That's excellent. I'll put that uh, as uh, opposed to the the huge the conglomerates. Yeah, I'll uh, corporations. We'll definitely link that stuff in the show notes, Liz. I'll definitely link uh, you know the stuff we talked about in the show notes, um, and then um, I still have a video uh, out for uh, how to how you can help with the research on COVID nineteen and other diseases in general um, using your computer. Um, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And I promise I will also have more content at some point that isn't my <laughs> core work. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, cool. Well, thanks guys. Uh, all right. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. This is always the weirdest. See part. ya. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. <laughs>